Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. to move around or move your kids out if you need to because we're in uh, week four actually of this series so I know that you're kind of prepared so uh, let, let me just say this this is our overarching theme for the entire series and I've said it every week and I'll say it again this week is that great and godly sex begins between the ears before it's ever between the legs great and godly sex begins between the ears before it's ever between the legs what, what does that mean well it means that the way that we think about sex affects the way that we behave and our enemy is well aware of that, and that's why he is lying to us and has been lying to us uh, about our sexuality and the way that we behave sexually, right? Because if he can lie to us and get us to believe the wrong things about sex, the who, what, when, whys, and wheres of it, then we will behave wrong. Wrong thinking leads to wrong behavior, right? And so we've been diving into God's word to find out what exactly he says about sex because we need to have right thinking, because right thinking will lead to right action. So we've been doing what Paul the Apostle calls renewing our minds. We've been changing our minds and getting them in line with what the scriptures have to say. Because when we do that, Jesus says, I want you to have life and life to the fullest. It's not that he wants to poo-poo your sex life and make sure that you aren't having fun. Because let's be honest, sex is fun. It is great. It is pleasurable and enjoyable. But when you do it God's way, when you operate underneath his standards for sex, then it's blessed, and then you have a more fulfilling experience. And so we've been talking a little bit about that. Today, we're going to look at the lies that Satan has been telling married couples. And first thing you need to know about Satan is that he hates anything and everything that has to do uh, or is close to the heart of God, okay? He is out to steal, kill, and destroy anything that God cares about. In fact, he does this through lying, and the Bible tells us in John 8, 44, he says, when the devil, that's Satan, lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Basically, if Satan is speaking, he's lying, okay? That's what he does. When he's talking, he's speaking his native language, right? Just like I speak English, and you speak English. And then, of course, the Bible says about Jesus, the contrast there is that, uh, and you will know the truth, this is in, in verse 32 of the same chapter, and you'll know the truth, who's the truth? It's Jesus. You'll know the truth. You'll know God's best for you, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is the truth, and Satan is a liar. Now let me ask you all a question. Everybody play along. How many of you are single but want to be married? Hands up. How many of you in this room are married? Hands up. How many of you intend to commit adultery? Hands up. (laughs) We got one guy. I think he was just slow to put his hand down from the last time I asked. Nobody, really honestly, nobody in here intends to commit adultery? It's really funny. All of us would say we don't have a plan to commit adultery, and yet studies show that inside and outside of the church, the numbers are the same, that 50% of men will commit adultery and 42% of women will commit adultery. So you say there's no plan to, but these numbers say that at least half of us will. So we're either liars or there's an enemy of our souls and an enemy of our marriages. And he wants to see us destroyed. So today, adultery is our topic. And there's something I want you to know about 
adultery. This is the first thing, is that the devil wants you to believe that you're missing out. That's why he leads you down a path to, uh, to adultery, to committing adultery. He wants you to believe that you're missing out. So we have to be careful that we don't fall for the trap of adultery. This trap that says the grass is greener on the other side, right? We, think, we start to think that there's something better out there. There's something better for us out there. Proverbs 5.3, now this is a, a chapter in Proverbs that Solomon had written to his son. Solomon was the wisest man who ever walked this earth, and he wrote this to his son regarding an adulteress. He said, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. What does this mean? He's telling his son, he's like, son, there's a good chance that someday somebody's going to come along and is going to sweet talk you. Is going to tell you and make you believe that they have something better to offer you than what you currently have. They're going to try to lead you and draw you in because they're going to make you believe that you're missing something. Now, Satan does this a couple ways in our lives. One of the ways that he does this is he attacks our sex life. He makes us begin to believe that, that our sex life is boring, that it's just, it's just plain old boring vanilla. Like there's nothing, there's nothing exciting about it anymore. Right? We go same approach, same technique, same boring sex. He gets you to believe that there is something better out there regarding your sex life, that you need something extra to spice it up. Or if it's not an assault on your sexuality and your sex life, it's an emotional attack. He gets you to believe that there is somebody else out there that is better for you. So he, he starts attacking your relationship because, you know, your spouse doesn't really listen to you. You guys don't talk much. And when you do talk, it's not really about anything. It's kind of just about the kids and about bills. And you know, he's not really listening to you, you know. But this person over here, well, they, they're interested in you. They'll talk to you. They, they care. They're, they want to get to know you as a person. And an emotional relationship is developed as a result of you beginning to believe that there, there's something better for me. There's someone better for me. As we look through, go through this journey on talking about adultery today, there's two key words that, that we're going to focus on, and I'm going to say a bunch of times today, mainly because they're just really fun to say. Um, one, one word is one that I believe God wants you to have, and the other word is something that Satan wants you to have. Those two words are rava or shaga, right? Pour some shaga on me. Nobody, nobody's, nobody's with me on that one. First service was very excited about that. Rava or Shagah. These are Hebrew words, okay? You need to know that your Bible is written in two different languages. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. New Testament is written in Greek. And so they are translated from those languages into our language, into English. And these two words appear in Proverbs chapter 5 at different places. And so I'll go over what they mean. But we see Rava first in verse 18. It says, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. Ladies, some of you get upset. You're like, he's always pawing at me. He's always trying to touch me, and I don't know why. Look, he's just trying to be biblical, okay? So just <laughs> let him. Hey, your... May her breast satisfy you. Everybody say satisfy. satisfy. May her breast satisfy you always. That's what rava means. That's where we see that word rava. Rava fully means to bathe, to make drunk, to fill, to satisfy. Be satisfied with each other. God's plan for you, married couples, is to be satisfied with each other. That your love would be enough to relish each other. He wants you filled and satisfied. So Rava 
or Shaga. Shaga appears in verse 20. He says, why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Now, this word captivated that we see here, why be captive, made captive, taken, right? Why be made captive by another man's wife? And that word captive comes from the word shaga. Now, shaga, the, the full definition says to stray, to wonder, to be devoured. Satan's plan for you as a married couple is that you would wander from each other and be devoured. Now, Hebrew words, what you need to know about them is that, that one word paints a picture. You could say shaga to somebody from this time period, and they would understand because that one word paints a picture in their mind. And that picture is somebody that was walked off of a path that they're supposed to be on and was devoured by a wild animal. Rava, being fulfilled, or shaga, off the path and devoured by a wild animal. So as we talk through the subject of adultery, I'm aware that all of you instantly have an image in your mind of what adultery means. Most of you, if I had to guess, would say that you would call or consider adultery the physical act of having sex with somebody that is not your spouse. And that's where you draw the line and that's how you define adultery. However, for the purpose of our conversation, let me do this. Let me take you to a place where Jesus spoke about adultery. And he said that if you were to think lustfully about someone, you have committed adultery in your heart. See, it starts here between the ears before it's ever between the legs. He said, if you think on them lustfully, you have committed adultery. So that's where that line is. It is not just the physical act. So Satan wants you, shaga, he wants you off the path and devoured. And one tool that he uses to, to take you off the path is fantasy. Fantasizing or thinking about that relationship, whether you're thinking about them sexually, emotionally, he wants to take you off the path and he wants to use fantasy as the way to do that. One of his biggest doorways into uh, that is, is pornography. He uses that because you can see your fantasy and you can remember it. You can call it to mind later. You can fantasize about that relationship and that experience. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that I have two rooms in my house one room is for prayer, the other room is for pornography, okay? And I do not have a porn room at my house, just to be clear, all right? But I'm going to go into each one of those rooms, and I'm going to spend an hour in each one of those rooms. Now, how do you think I'm going to come out of each one of those rooms? After spending an hour in prayer, or in spending time with God, reading the Bible, talking to Him, maybe singing a song, thanking Him for all He's done, how do you think I'm going to come out of that room? I'm going to come out filled with his presence. I'm going to come out with a desire to be a better husband, a better, a better uh, father, a better leader. I'm going to be full of love and compassion. Why? Because I have spent time with him. Now, on the, on the flip side, if I come out of the room after viewing pornography for an hour, how am I going to walk away from that? Well, the first thing I'm going to want to do is score quick. It doesn't matter what my spouse would be doing. I would turn her into an object, and she would become the source of my gratification. It's very self-centered. It's very selfish of me. You come out with an attitude of me. It's all about me. You also walk out of that room filled with shame. That leads to anger. That leads to bitterness. That leads to self-hate. That you portray and put on everyone else, and it destroys your world around you. That's, what, that's how you would come out of a room 
looking at pornography for an hour. Now, I think the problem today in our, in our world, even in our church setting, is that people are spending way more time with porn than they are with God. Spending way more time with that. And the problem with that is, is that, that porn, see, marriages, people say, well, our sex life is kind of boring, it's vanilla, I want to spice it up a little bit, and we're going to introduce porn into that relationship. And the second that you do that, do you know what you've done to your spouse? You have let your spouse know that you're not enough. Think about that. Go with me for a second. You're not enough to arouse me sexually anymore. I need something more visual. I need something that looks different than you. You're not enough. See, great and godly sex never starts with rejection. And when you introduce porn into your relationship, into your sex life with your spouse, you are essentially rejecting them as your source of fulfillment, your rava. You have left the path and are shaga. Rava, fulfilled, shaga, off the path, devoured. Now, Satan is really sly about adultery. It does not go that, you, guy, you're, guys, you're just driving down the road and you see a naked lady on the side of the road and you pull over and have sex with her. That doesn't happen. That's not happening like that. It doesn't ever go from, I'm completely committed to, oops, I had sex, like that. It's subtle steps. It's baby steps, small compromises that you make along the way that take you off the path of rava and take you to being devoured, shagah. And there are eight baby steps that I'll share with you. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. The first one is, is if these are the eight baby steps to adultery. You ready? The first step in adultery is that you enjoy common interest. This is somebody you probably meet because, well, you, you work out at the same place or your kids go to the same school or maybe even you, you work together. You have common interest and that's what's brought you together in the first place. The second step is that you begin to share personal information with each other. You start talking about your marriage, you start talking about your likes and your dislikes. The third step is, is that you begin to anticipate time together. You've enjoyed listening to them, you've enjoyed talking to them, and you begin to look for opportunities to accidentally be together. The fourth step is you begin to hide that relationship from your spouse. Text messages get deleted, you take phone calls in your car, your private messaging on social apps, you're using social apps that your spouse is not familiar with because you don't want them to know. Maybe you're even hiding those apps somewhere on your phone because if they don't know, makes it easy. Maybe you're using Kik or Snapchat or you begin to hide that relationship. And then you begin to flirt with minor arousing touch. What does that mean? Well, when you go to get the hug, normally it was a, a side hug, but maybe now you're doing a full frontal hug and you kind of step it into that a little bit. Or maybe and, and when you give that hug, you're... enjoying that moment. Maybe it goes from when they say goodbye or when they're walking out, your hand that may have been on their shoulder now goes to the small of their back. Or when they go to hand you something, you brush their hand intentionally to take the item from their hand. Oh, come on, I'm hitting home for somebody. It's baby steps. It's little things. Small compromises that you make. The next step from the, the flirting is you begin to invent excuses to call or meet. You begin to invent excuses to call or meet. You're going to be there? Me too. I'm going to go. 
I'm going to be part of that. And then you begin to deceive your spouse with your words or with your actions. You're lying to them. And the next thing you know, you act out sexually. Rava or Shagah. Shagah never happens in a moment. It happens with small baby steps. Solomon was aware of this, and so he's talking to his son about the adulteress because he's aware that it's small compromises. He says there's a couple things that you can do, my son. The first thing that he tells him to do in order to avoid the trap of Shagah, he says, is to visualize the devastation. Here's what he does for him in in verse 3 and 5. He says, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. What is he doing? He's saying, hey, look, dude, if you go there, if you ignore my wisdom, and you begin to go to the, to the adulteress, and you have sex with her, if you begin that, her steps lead to death. You're going to die. And a lot of you say, no, duh. If I cheated on my spouse, she'd kill me. And in most of our cases, that's not actually true. She's going to cut you a little bit. You know what I'm saying? She's definitely going to cut the girl. In my case, that would be the, that, that's probably how it would happen. You'd cut her, wouldn't you, babe? <laughs> I will cut her. But instead of fantasizing about that forbidden relationship... How about you take time to fantasize or imagine about the devastation? See, we think this word devastation is just a dramatic word that people use. I'm just devastated. Look, do you know what devastation is? It's it's everything being laid waste. He's talking about death, and he doesn't necessarily mean physical death. He's talking about death of every single part of your life. See, if I cheated on my wife, and I use this visualization often, I talk to myself. I'm a little bit crazy. But if I've got an idea or a thought that is hanging out in my brain a little too long, you all know what I'm talking about. One that you ought not be thinking about somebody that's not your spouse. You say, do you have those thoughts? Hmm. You mean you're not perfect? I'm not. I'm just like you. So when those thoughts hang out just a little too long, I begin to talk to myself. Aaron, you can't do that. Do you know what will happen if you do that? And I start reciting a list. Here's my list. You ready? The first thing that I'll do is I will mar the name of God. I will smear his name in mud. I will have shamed his name. And someday, because I chose to have an adulterous relationship for a fleeting moment of pleasure, I will drag his name through the mud and I will stand before him someday and have to give an answer for what I did as one of the leaders of his church. Not only that, all of you that are here, well, you won't be here anymore. You you won't be here anymore. You'll, You'll be gone. You may go to another church, or you may leave Christ completely and never darken another 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 door of a church ever. Because of the offense. Excuse me, guys, this thing has fallen off my ear. There you go, sorry. You may leave the leave a church, you may be offended. Or other people that would be here next Sunday, if we announced that I had had an adulterous relationship, they wouldn't be able to come to a church that has come as you are on our doors. Hey, we don't care what kind of mess you're in, we will love you through it. 
life-giving church, the doors will be closed. How about my family? Well, my wife, I would have devastated her. A woman who made so many sacrifices to be with me in the first place. See, I've been married before, and I had two little kids, and she chose me. I'm the guy that she picked to be with, and so she made a sacrifice. She left the hills of Kentucky and came to the greatest land in the nation. She came to Ohio. OH. And now you know the reason why it's so awesome. She left the hills of Kentucky, left her family, left her friends, and came here. Started a new life with me. Loved me through my brokenness. Loved me back to health. She has given her all to me for the past 11 years. Loved me, loved my children like they were her own. And that woman, sitting right there, I would destroy. I would crush her. I I would crush her. What about my children who have come to experience a sense of normalcy in our home? The schools that they go to, who knows where we'd wind up? Who knows where we'd live? Who knows what school they'd be in? Who knows what kind of life they would have after I betrayed them? What about my job? My job would be gone. I'm a pastor full time. I have to find something else to do. My whole life would be laid to waste. And I begin to visualize the devastation because when I see all that I would do, the brokenness that I would leave in the wake of a just a moment of pleasure. I walk away from it. Because those are the people I love the most. You need to imagine the devastation. Rava, be fulfilled where you are. Or Shagah, be off the path and be devoured. Satan wants you devoured. And no one plans on adultery. But when that opportunity steps open for you, you need to visualize the devastation. The second thing you can do is to shield your marriage from the slaughter. We need to, as Christ followers, be willing to do whatever it takes to shield our marriage from the slaughter. When I was younger, uh, my brother and I both had paper routes. We uh, delivered newspapers for the Columbus Dispatch. I delivered on the coldest day ever in Ohio. It was in January. I even got a little trophy for it. And uh, I was 11 years old when I first started this paper route, and, uh, and he and I would go out, and he delivered his route, and I'd deliver my route, but sometimes my older brother would, would join me on our route. Now, I, I don't recall ever joining him on his route, and there's a reason for that, because on one of his roads, there lived a dog. That dog's name was Major. He was a German shepherd, and to my recollection, he was huge. He was eyeball to eyeball with me. This was a big dog. And I had heard rumors about Major. I would heard that there was no fence that could hold him. If you came by the, his house, he was going to jump that fence and he was going to get you. I heard stories of kids riding by on bikes and Major not only jumped the fence but caught up to him and nipped him in the rear end. My brother's sitting there like a bobblehead just going, yep, yep, yep. I'd heard stories and my encounters with Major had been, he was on a leash, he was, he was subdued, he was fine. He was always really nice and pleasant, but I'd heard stories about Major. And one morning, my brother and I are out on our lot, or on, my, on my route. And we're walking the distance, and there's, there's something in the distance. I can see it. And it is galloping towards me. <laughs> and it's white. I'm like, Jeremy, do you, do you see that? 
this, this, this white blur comes into vision, and we can see it. It's dark outside because, you know, it's, it's like 5, 30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Dogs are like the worst thing to encounter because ain't nobody around to save you. You know what I'm saying? I was stuck on a porch for an hour and a half one morning because a vicious dog was out there. My district manager came looking for me. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. What are you doing? There's a dog right there. I can't move. I'm stuck. It's a true story. You don't want to run into a dog. You're by yourself. And you don't want to run into a big dog like Major. He's galloping towards me. I don't remember saying anything outside of, oh, for like the next 20 or 30 seconds. I can show you where I was standing on that street. And my brother, once he realized who it was, there was a moment, even me being frozen like this, that I recognized he was no longer standing next to me. And I thought, I'm going to die right here. This is it. And I continued to scream, like this. And Major ran right up to me. He ran around me. And then he did like a little circle, left, left his tongue out. was just happy to see me. Major wasn't vicious. And when I finally came to and realized that Major was not going to hurt me, I began to look for my brother. See, some of you would say that, that my brother was a coward and he ran. I would say that my brother was smarter than me. Because he was gone. But he didn't go far. He was right behind me. See, he was using me as a human shield. He figured that dog was going to get me. He knew I was the fat kid and I was not going to, the dog was going to sit there and chew on me for a while and he'd be able to get away. Sacrifices had to be made, he says. But I realized he's standing right behind me using me as a human shield. Look, guys, that's what we have to do. We have to do whatever it takes in our marriages to shield ourselves from the slaughter. That's what my brother was doing. That's what we have to do. We have to protect ourselves at all costs. Proverbs 5.80 says, keep to a path far from her, the adulteress. He says, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. He says, don't go near it. Don't walk up to it. Don't wave hi to her. Don't go near it. And most of you would agree with that, that that's sound advice. The problem is, is that you think her doorway is getting close to having sex. It's like that sexual relationship. Look, that line where you're not supposed to cross over is way farther back down the path. It is way farther away from just having sex with her. It is several steps before. It begins with guarding your eyes. It begins with guarding your thoughts. It begins with, with eliminating, fantasizing about old relationships or looking at pornography. It begins with those things. And some of you are like, man, I don't struggle with that. All right, ladies, let me bring it home for you. It begins with throwing out those trashy romance novels that you read. Because let's be honest, here's what happens when you read those things. It takes a guy and puts a woman in a guy's body, and you walk away from reading those romance novels thinking that you can have that in a guy, and you can't, because you come, you come home to your guy, and he's acting like a guy, and not acting like Fabio allegedly does in the books. Look, we can't compare to that. They've put a woman in a man's body. It begins with protecting our thoughts the way we think. So here's some practical applications, some things to never do. Let's get real practical. Never be alone with the opposite sex. Never be alone with the opposite sex. Sorry. I'll have to fix that next week, guys. There. Don't be alone with the opposite sex. I'm never alone with the opposite sex. Never. 
Even if I'm in my office and a female walks into my office, I have a camera intentionally pointed towards the doors so that we see who comes into my office so that I'm never alone. And there are people who watch that and who know who's been in my office and when. But there are other times I've been at home and a team member has to drop something off to me and my wife hasn't been home and it's a female. She'll come to my door or I'll leave something on the doorstep. She's not coming inside. I'm not going to be alone with somebody of the opposite sex. In fact, a few weeks ago, I got a massage here in this building during the week. And I said, I called my wife. I said, baby, you okay with me getting a massage? She said, absolutely. I said, okay, there's one problem. There's nobody else here in the building. My massage therapist is a female. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up FaceTime here. And I know you're at work, but I just want you to turn it on and just watch. Hold me accountable. (laughs) So I made my wife watch me get a massage. Some of you would say that was mean. No, no, I did not get her a massage, no. But, but I wasn't alone. We don't want to be alone. And some of you who would applaud that in my life, you'd say, well, you're in ministry. Of course, you don't want to do that. You would applaud that in my life, and yet you would neglect it in your own. You would neglect that standard in your own life. You go on business lunches with a, with a member of the opposite sex, just you and them. You'll get in a car, and you'll make that drive to wherever you're going, or you'll go on a business trip out of town, out of state. You'll get on the same plane, you'll drive in the same car, you'll go to the same hotel, and even if you get adjacent rooms, you're still in the same place. Look, you might as well put a bullet in a gun, spin the barrel, and then take a shot, and then thank God that you didn't blow your brains out. That is actually safer than doing all that stuff alone with somebody of the opposite sex. Don't do it. Second thing you don't want to do is, is never discuss your marriage with the opposite sex. Don't talk good or bad about it. Don't talk about the, the, the issues in your marriage. Don't especially don't talk about your sex life with somebody of the opposite sex. Just don't do it. The third thing, never hang around the wrong environments. You're like, what are the wrong environments? Well, let me, let me kind of put a plane for you. If a friend of yours is getting married and uh, he wants to go to a strip club, probably not the right environment for you as a married person or a single person at all. Not the right environment for you. What about the ladies? Well, same thing applies for the ladies. Strip club's probably not the place for you. But what about, you know, just hanging out at the gym, you and your girlfriend standing there looking at all the rippling biceps and the cute little tushies? Do you call that an inappropriate environment? Some of you are going to walk away. See, I told you, I, I, pastor says I can't go to the gym anymore. <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. What you're doing in that environment makes it inappropriate. Others of you, maybe it's your work environment. Maybe, maybe the computers are unmonitored. And so you can look at anything you want to with no accountability. Maybe that's an inappropriate environment for you. That's, that's the wrong place. Never hang out in the wrong environments. Three things to always do to protect your marriage is always nurture your relationship with Christ. It's amazing when you're on fire for Jesus and when you're in love with him, how much more difficult it is to sin. How do I do that? Feed your relationship with him. It is astounding to me. And I don't say this to bring any shame to anybody in particular. But is it astounding to me as Christ followers how many people I have conversations with? When's the last time you read your Bible? Did you read your Bible at all this week? No, I, I, didn't, I didn't read my Bible this week. How are you investing, you personally? I don't mean coming to church and listening to me and how I've invested in my relationship and what I've shared with you. I mean, how are you investing in your relationship with Jesus? That personal one, this is our corporate one. 
People say, ah, I'm not reading my Bible at all. When's the last time you read it? And they share that date, and it's like been weeks or months ago. And they're there sitting in my office talking to me because their world fell apart, and they don't know why. You got to nurture your relationship with Christ. How in the world are you ever going to be able to renew your mind, change the way that you think about your life and your circumstances and the way that you lead your life if you don't know what the Bible says? How are you ever going to be able to do that? You need to nurture that relationship with him. Second thing is to always do is to always keep accountability. You need to have somebody in your life who can ask you the difficult questions. How's your marriage? How's your relationship going? How's your relationship with Jesus going? What are you reading? What is God talking to you about? What are you doing about it? You can begin to have, you need to have somebody who can ask those questions in your life and know when you're lying. It needs to be that solid of a relationship. The last thing you need to always do is always water your own grass. Always water your own grass. You need to take care of your marriage. You need to invest in it. Water your own grass. Because the grass isn't greener on the other side. That's what the devil wants you to believe. No, the grass is always greener where you water it. So invest in your marriage. There's a lot of people that I talk to, whether they're married or just dating, they say, well, we're not in love anymore. We just kind of fell out of love. No, you didn't. I'll ask them, when's the last time you felt in love? They give me the date. What were you doing around that time in your relationship? And they begin to describe themselves and their world. I'm like, no, no, you didn't fall out of love. You made a decision to stop doing those things that helped you experience love, right? We know that choices lead and feelings follow. You've made a choice. And those feelings have stopped. Guys, I'll look at them. I'll tell them, you know what? Clean up. Shave. Get out of the sweatpants. Dress up. Take her out on a date. Turn off the television. Look, if you've got a television in your bedroom, let me tell you something. It creates this habit and this cycle of going to bed. We turn on the TV, and when the screens are on, our brains are gone. The person that you love and cherish the most is sitting next to you, and all they want is your attention, and you cannot give it to them with the television on. Get the television out of your room. That's free. That's not even in my notes. That's just for you. We refuse to have a television in our room. It's not because we can't afford it. It's because we like what happens in the bedroom when we don't have a television. Talking, that's what I'm talking about. We talk to each other. But we're married, the other thing happens too. Turn off the television. Start talking to each other. Maybe you're going to discover that you owe your spouse an apology. Apologize. Own your part of a relationship. Find out how you can grow in that relationship. Invest in it. And then after you've done all those things, you know what I want you to do? I want you to get naked. I want you to get naked and get jiggy with it. I want you to enjoy it. You say, Aaron, you're being kind of flip about it. No, I'm not. God gave us the gift of, of sex within our marriages. It's a gift he wants you to play with. Please enjoy it. And you'll find that as you do these things, that as you invest in your marriage, you'll see how God begins to honor that and begins to bless your relationship as a result of it. You've got to water your own grass. So what happens when we mess up? Sarah, you're not offered a whole lot of hope today. And I'm somewhere in those baby steps right now, or maybe you've even gone the full way of the baby steps and you've committed adultery. What do I do now? The answer is simple. Because of what we know about God, what we know about his nature, who he is, is that even when you and I have been unfaithful, he remains faithful. 
he remains faithful to us. I love the picture that the story of the prodigal son paints for us. It's a story of a young man who walks away from his father's blessing, from his father's house, and he goes to a distant country and spends everything that he has and loses it all with wild living. Shagah. And he winds up in a pig pen wanting to eat the food that the pigs are eating. He has nothing left. He says, you know, I could go back to my father's house and I could go there and I could be a servant. He repents of the way that he's living. He turns away from it. And what I love about this story is the moment he says, I could go back to my father's house, the camera lens shifts from looking at the son and it begins to focus on the father. And the picture that it paints of the father is breathtaking because the father is not busy about his business. He's not out in the fields working with the sheep and with the flock. Do you know where the father is? He's on the porch and he's looking for his son. And it says that when he sees him in the distance, he begins to run to him. What happens when you and I are unfaithful? When we leave the path, we enter into Shagah. We leave what God's best is for us. We leave Ravah behind. What we have to do is turn to him. And he runs towards you. It doesn't matter how far off the path that you've walked. He's waiting on you to turn. And in the moment that you turn, he's there. You can be back on the path today. If you'd be willing to just turn to him. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, the, those of you that are in this room that are Christ followers, I'd ask you to be honest in this moment. At what point have you strayed? For us, the answer is different. You know, maybe, maybe you're married and you're on baby step number one. Or maybe you're all the way through step eight already. You've committed full the full deal. It's gone from thoughts and manifested in your life and you've had sex with somebody who's not your spouse. Or maybe just you've strayed in your mind. Or maybe you've neglected your marriage. Maybe you've strayed with your eyes or your thought life or maybe you've just strayed away from God doing, doing things God's way and you're doing things your own way now. Maybe you've lost your first love. You used to read your Bible, you used to pray. Now, now you don't. That passion has died out. You strayed. How many of you would be willing to say, Aaron, that's me. I, I've strayed today. Would you just let me know? Say, hey, that's me. I've strayed. Yeah. Appreciate your honesty. I'm going to pray for you now. God, I pray, God, that you would draw us back to you. Lord, for those of us that don't even realize that we've strayed, I pray that you would bring conviction into our lives that your truth would reveal areas where we have strayed so that we can come running back to you, we can experience your grace, we can experience your love and your mercy fully, and we can celebrate it. Lord, for those of us that need the strength to remain on the path, I pray that you would give it to us. For those of us that have walked off the path, would you give us the wisdom and insight that we need, Lord? May we know fulfillment. May we, may we know that ravah in our spouse and in our Lord. May we know it in our, our relationships. Help us shield our marriages, Lord. Help us, help us visualize the devastation. Make it clear to us what is at stake.
Help us, God. For those of you that are here today and you would say that I'm not a Christ follower, but I want to be. I want to begin that journey with him. I've been looking for fulfillment. I've been looking for Ravah, but all I have found is Shagah. Everything that I have done in my life or pursued in my life is empty. I feel devoured. Maybe as you strayed away from God's best from you, maybe you did it because you didn't know God had a best. But today, you know there's another way. And you want to be part of that way. You want to learn to do things his way. You want to begin your journey. And you can do that today. The best part about it is, is when you choose to begin that journey, that as you've stepped off the path, God's not mad at you. He loves you. He is a loving father that will run towards you and embrace you, forgiving you. In the story of the prodigal son, he took his ring off his finger and put it on the son's finger and gave him new clothes. He transformed him from a broken, a broken boy who was looking to be a servant and made him a son. That's what God does for us when we turn to him. You'd say, Aaron, I want to turn to God. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to learn how to do things his way. I want to experience all the fulfillment that he has for me. If that's you and you're here in this room, would you say, Aaron, that's me. Count me in on the prayer you're about to make. Just shoot your hand up. Say, that's me. I want, to, I want you to pray for me today. Yeah, thank you. Others of you, you're listening by the podcast. You're watching through Periscope live right now. You can join us in on this prayer, and I believe that God will meet you right wherever you're at in the same way that he's going to meet the people in this room who have said yes today. Pray this prayer with us. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you came to this earth, that you lived a perfect and sinless life, that you were brutally murdered on the cross and rose from the dead three days later. Jesus, I believe you did all of that to set your love on display for me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Transform me by the power of your Holy Spirit and show me how to live for you. Show me how to experience Rava, fulfillment in you. And I'll, I'll spend every day doing that, I promise. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I'll submit to doing things your way. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.